have your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me to Acts chapter 7, verse 60. We're going to continue our study in the book of Acts that we're calling The Church. We're learning from the first church some lessons so that way we can apply it to our church, so that way we can be the church. And while you're finding your place in your Bible, I want to open up with a story. It was in 2019. There was a woman, her name was Amber Geiger. She's a police officer in Dallas. Um, after a long shift, being overworked, she decided, she's going home and she went to walk into her apartment and she realized that the apartment door was unlocked. And so cautiously, she opened up and she walked inside and she found an intruder. And so she pulled her firearm and she shot him and, and she killed him. What's interesting is that and unfortunate, she walked into the wrong apartment. It wasn't her apartment. It was a man named Botham Jean. And Botham Jean was just minding his own business that evening in his own apartment. When all of a sudden, this woman walked in, pulled her firearm, and she killed him. And this made national news. More so because Amber was a police officer and Botham was an African-American. And so with the cultural climate we're in, obviously it became very politicized. There was riots and protests. People were outraged and angry, understandably so. And it became quickly politicized from the left to the right. Everybody was angry and trying to make sense of it. But that's not what was so shocking. What was shocking is what happened at the trial. At the trial, as Amber Geiger was on trial for, for murder, Botham's little brother had a chance to, to say some final words. And what he said shocked people. Here's what he said to them. He said, I forgive you. He said, I love you. He said, I want the best for you. He said, after everything you've taken from, from my family, I want you to know that I I forgive you. And then he said something else. He said, I don't even want you to go to jail. He said, I want the best for you. And the best thing for you to do is to, to give your life to Christ. I want for you to give your life to Christ. And she began crying and you could hear weeping in the courtroom. In fact, here's a photo from that day. And he was moved with compassion for the woman who murdered his own brother. And so he asked the judge, if it's possible, could I give her a hug? And he got up from behind the witness stand, walked across the courtroom, and he hugged the woman who murdered his brother. The judge was also a Christian. And the judge gave her her own personal Bible and quoted to her John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. And this shocked people. You know why? Because... Our world is really familiar with anger and bitterness, outrage. We're really good at that. We're always looking for the next thing to be upset or to be outraged or to be angry about. But when you see an act of forgiveness like this, people don't know how to process it because they haven't processed their own unforgiveness. And so in this moment, the entire nation was confronted with the biblical value of forgiveness. 
people didn't know what to do with it. And so whenever Botham's little brother Brant was interviewed by CNN, they asked him, why would you forgive the woman who murdered your brother? And she got her prison sentence and consequences. But here's what he said. He said, because I'm a Christian and God has forgiven me. And so as a Christian, I have to forgive her. And so I choose to forgive her. Today, we're gonna be talking about the subject of forgiveness. And as I was looking at the life of Stephen, which we've been covering for the last few weeks, I wanted to go back and look at his final words because his final words remind me of of Botham's. Here's what Stephen says in Acts chapter seven, verse 60. As he's being killed, stoned, he's being murdered. Here's what Stephen says. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. For those of you who are new, we walk verse by verse through books of the Bible here. And for the last 22 or so weeks, we've been in the book of Acts and we're in Acts chapter seven and there's 28 chapters. So we're gonna be here for a while. And normally we go forward, but for a moment today, I wanna go back and I wanna look at Stephen one last time. Because Stephen, he is influential. He is probably one of the most pivotal persons in the book of Acts. Here's what we met in Acts chapter six. It says that he was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He wasn't a pastor. He was on the serve team. He would have been somebody in the production booth or the parking lot. He was just a man who loved Jesus and loved his church. And he would pray for people. And it says that people got healed. And this outraged the society that they were living in. So much so that they arrested him, brought him before trial. They made false accusations. They accused him of blasphemy and then they sentenced him to death. They pushed him off the cliff. They grabbed some stones. They took their cloaks off, laid him at the feet of a man named Saul. We're gonna learn about him in a few weeks. And then they began to murder him. And the last words on Stephen's mouth was very similar to the last words that Botham's brother said. I forgive you. He forgave those who murdered him. This sounds familiar because he's echoing Jesus on the cross. As Jesus lived the perfect life with no sin, loving everybody everywhere all the time, healings and signs and wonders and stories and hanging out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors, the lowest and the least of these, Jesus was also arrested brought before a trial, falsely accused, beaten, bloodied, battered, hung upon a Roman cross where he dies the most brutal and painful death in our place. And the last words on his mouth was this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Botham's brother forgave the murderer. Stephen forgave those who murdered him and Jesus forgives us. Today, we're gonna talk about forgiveness. And I know it's gonna be hard. I know it's gonna be difficult. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy and nothing I say today in any way is to diminish your pain or to justify the abuse you've experienced. I know it's very real. And today is gonna hurt because 
you've been hurt. Maybe it was by a spouse who cheated on you. Maybe it was by a boss who fired you without cause or reason, and then you had to go home and explain to your family why you could no longer provide for them. Maybe it was a, a friend who betrayed you. They say friends stab you in the front, but sometimes they stab you in the back. Maybe it was a, a church or a spiritual leader. Maybe it was your father who you just wanted to make proud, but he never showed you any affection. Or maybe it was a mother who was supposed to be nurturing, but she ignored your emotional needs. Or maybe it was a trusted friend of the family who abused you and it went covered up and nobody protected you. I'm sorry. I could never begin to imagine what you've gone through. But I know that we serve a God who sees, who hears, who cares. And he wants to bring healing to your soul. Listen, today is going to hurt. You know why? Because forgiveness hurts. Forgiveness hurts. How much does it hurt? It hurts so bad Jesus hung on the cross. And all of the pain and the agony. But here's what the prophet Isaiah says. By his stripes, we are healed. Forgiveness hurts but it also heals. And if you let me be your pastor today, I believe that God wants to bring healing to your hearts. Because on the other side of the offense, there is a freedom that you've never known. On the other side of the bitterness, there is a breakthrough for your life. And on the other side of the hurt, there is a God who heals. And we find that when we learn how to forgive. So today we're gonna to talk about forgiveness for the next 35-ish minutes or so. Would you just let me be your pastor and care for you? Just show you what God's word says. Because to be honest, like we don't really talk about forgiving others very much. No, we love to talk about how God forgives us. Like that's, that's what we talk about in churches a lot. Like God forgives. How many of you are glad we serve a God who forgives? Amen? We serve a God who is forgiving, who is never running out of his mercy and his grace, abounding in steadfast love. Oh, give me the Holy Ghost goosebumps, pastor. We serve a God who forgives. We love it when we hear about God forgiving because I've been forgiven of some stuff, amen? Who else has been forgiven of a few things? I have lied and cheated and stolen and all that was before the 8 a.m. service today, all right? <laughs> and so if you're perfect here, just do me a favor, just take your halo and just polish your halo a little bit and then put it back on. Uh, but this church is for imperfect people and we serve a God who loves to forgive. And we talk a lot about what God forgives us when we have sinned. 
But not very often do we hear sermons about how we respond when others sin against us. Like we love the vertical relationship, but we struggle at the horizontal relationships. And we love it when God forgives us, but we have a hard time forgiving others. So what does the Bible say about the subject of forgiveness? Is Stephen's story just a fluke? Is it an anomaly? Is it just a one-time thing? In fact, it's found all throughout scriptures. Let me give you some verses from the Lord Jesus. Here's what he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear to love your friends, right? To love people who love you. To love people who are easy to love. No, that's not what he says. What do you say? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who abuse you. Jesus wants me to pray for those who abuse me. Sure, I'll pray for them. I'm going to lay hands on them in Jesus' name, amen, right? Come on, come on. I'm from the south side of the kingdom. You don't know. Half hood, half holy. I don't know, right? Righteous and ratchet. Come on. You say, Lord Jesus, pray that you bless them with hemorrhoids in their ears. Amen. Amen, right? I'm going to pray for them. You better believe it. That's not what he says. Pray for those who abuse you. Let's keep going. Judge not, lest you shall be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, for with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. What is he saying? You get out of it what you put into it. As you forgive others, you will be forgiven. And the more you forgive others, the more you will be forgiven as well. How about this one? Watch yourselves. If a brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, confront them, correct them, bring it to their attention. And if they repent, if they say they're sorry, you hold it over their heads to make them feel bad. You post about it on Facebook. You go tell your friends what they did so they get angry at them too. Is that what you do? No, he says you do what? You forgive them. But what if they do it again? Here's what he says. Seven times a day if they sin against you. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. Fool me seven times in a day? Jesus, what you smoking, right? <laughs> Ain't no way. Ain't no way it's gonna happen. And Jesus says this. If they say they're sorry, if they repent, even if they sin against you seven times in a day, he doesn't say you should forgive them. He says you must Forgive them. Or how about this one? You're probably familiar with this one. It's the Lord's Prayer. Why don't we say it together if you know it? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here it comes. You really want to pray that? You really want to pray that? Forgive me, God, in the same way I forgive them. You really want to pray that prayer? Forgive me in the same way I forgive my 
backstabbing ex-best friend. She wore the same dress as I did when we went out. I just can't believe her. Like, I have never worn a dress, but I know that that's probably what y'all talk about sometimes, right? You say, you say, forgive them like I forgive my boss. Forgive them like I forgive my spouse that divorced me. Forgive them the way that I forgive the ones that have abused me. Do you really want to pray that prayer? Forgive me the same way I forgive them. Paul, who understands a little bit about forgiveness, he writes about this in Colossians 3. He says, bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, what do you do? You forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. You say, but Byron, you don't know how hard it is. I've got my reasons. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said about me. You don't know the way they treated me. You don't know. No, I don't know what they did to you, but I know what Jesus did for you on the cross. And Jesus forgave you, therefore you must forgive them. You say, but Byron, I've got my reasons. I'm sure you do. And I'm sure they're valid. I'm sure you got your reasons. I'm sure, I'm sure you have a million reasons. You probably have the receipts too. But just because you have a reason doesn't mean you have an excuse. You have reasons to be bitter, but you don't have an excuse. You have reasons to hold a grudge, but you, you don't have an excuse. Not when you consider that God has forgiven you. Therefore, as Christians, we must forgive others. And so today is going to be a little tough. That was just my introduction, and it's already starting to bring up some thoughts and some feelings in people. I understand. Today's going to be kind of like going to the doctor. Like when you go to the doctor and you got like a pain, what do they do? They, they begin to ask you your symptoms. They're just like, I don't know, it just kind of hurts. And so they, they start pressing on it. Does it hurt when I do this? No. Does it hurt when I do this? No. Does it hurt when I do this? Ah, there it is. Yep, there it is. That's what today's going to be like. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And it's probably going to hurt. But remember, on the other side of the hurt, there is healing. And on the other side of the bitterness, there is breakthrough. And on the other side of the offense, there is freedom. Anybody want to be set free today? I believe God in his goodness brought you here so that way I can help begin the journey of healing. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And the first question is this. What is forgiveness? Like we need to know what it is if we're going to do it, right? So what is forgiveness? The best way to answer that question is by telling you what forgiveness isn't. Number one, forgiveness isn't forgetting. That's what happens oftentimes. They're like, well, well, I, I just can't forget it. Nobody's asking you to forget what happened. They're just asking you to forgive it. That's what God's asking you, not to forget. Like to forget when somebody has abused you is not forgiveness, that's foolishness. It's foolish. You're naive. You just keep setting yourself up to be disappointed over and over again. And forgiveness requires some boundaries. Reconciliation is not always possible, but forgiveness is. Reconciliation is between two people. Forgiveness is between you and God. 
And so whether or not they ever reconcile with you, you always need to be reconciled with him. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Here's what forgiveness is. It's not letting the hate enter into your heart. That's forgiveness. I'm not going to let this affect me. I'm not going to let this rob me. I'm not going to let this consume me. I'm not going to let the hate in my heart. I'm not going to forget it, but I'm not going to keep reliving it. It's forgiveness. Number two, forgiveness isn't fair. That's what I think people say all the time. But if I forgive them, they're going to get away with it. No, because God is the judge. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. When you learn to forgive, you let God be the judge rather than you trying to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. God is the judge, and he judges with fairness, but forgiveness is not fair. He's just. And when you learn to forgive, what you're doing is this. You're getting up off of the throne, and you're letting God do his job. They're not getting away with it. You're just letting God be the one who judges. Number three, Forgiveness isn't a feeling. People all the time, they're like, but I don't feel like forgiving. Some of y'all just described your marriage, right? (laughs) You're like, I know I did wrong, but I need three days to process my emotions before I apologize. (laughs) And I don't know if your marriage does this or not, but sometimes in a marriage, there's someone who just has a really hard time forgiving. And then instead of actually apologizing, what they do is when they're laying down in bed, they just do the little toe touch right? I'm not going to say I'm sorry, but I am going to put my freezing toes on your leg. Anybody? That should be, that's my apology. Anybody else? Look, I'm getting, somebody's getting, somebody, so I just explained, you're like, I just, I just went to five years of marriage counseling right there. <laughs> and that was free. You get what you pay for, all right? <laughs> it's not a feeling. People say, I don't feel like forgiving. Whenever Jesus says you are to forgive them seven times a day, the, the disciples respond. I'm to forgive them Seven times a day? Here's what they say. They say, Lord, increase our faith. Do you know why? Because forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness requires faith. It takes faith to forgive. It takes faith to believe that God wants better for you than what another person did to you. It takes faith. And here's what I've discovered is that faith goes first, feelings they follow. The Bible doesn't say we live by our feelings, right? No, the righteous will walk by their feelings. No, that's why some of y'all are in the situations you're in. Because you were like, I just want to follow my heart. And your heart failed you. We don't walk by our feelings. We walk by our faith. And faith goes first and feelings follow. So faith it till you make it. Even if you don't have the feelings. Then number five Forgiveness isn't final. Say, so what do you mean by that? Is that forgiveness doesn't happen overnight, but it happens over time. Here's what my therapist tells me. He says, Byron, forgiveness is a journey. It is not a destination. It is not an event. It is a process. And we're all people in process. And so you learn to forgive. And you forgive once, and they do it again. You forgive again. And then they do it again, and you forgive again, and again, and again. Until eventually, you go and meet Jesus. 
and then he forgives you totally. Let's make this personal. I'm the son of an alcoholic. Actually, both me and Ashley, my wife, both of our parents were alcoholics. Ashley's dad died homeless, drank himself to death. My mom, she's still with us, but she's battling her addiction every day, even still to this day. All the time growing up, mom's in jail, she's in rehab, she's being abused again, she's in another relationship. I'm the oldest of six, and we all have different dads. Like, that's my childhood. And Christmases were the worst because that's when her addiction was the ugliest. Christmas Eve, she'd be in jail. We had to go bail her out where she would steal and we'd open up presents that were actually bought for somebody else because she stole them. And that caused so much pain in me to where eventually whenever I got married and me and Ashley would have our Christmases and our Thanksgivings or for our daughters, Ashley loves Christmas. She's like, it's Christmas. Do you want to do the 12 days of Christmas? Do you want to go look at Christmas lights? Do you want to go, right? And I'm like, no, I don't want to. She's like, why don't you like Christmas? I was like, oh, I'm passing my trauma on to my children now. Because I don't like it, I'm ruining theirs. Oh, that's me. I need to heal from this. So every Christmas, every holiday, every Sunday, when I go over to my grandparents' house and my mom's there, what is it? It's, I love you. I forgive you. And then she does it again and I forgive her again. It's a process of choosing and learning to forgive. And, and here's what happens if you don't. If you don't forgive, you'll relive it, you'll repeat it, and you'll pass it on to the people who are closest to you. And my concern for many people is that they have begun to identify with their pain. That their past is their present they're carrying it into their future. Listen, what happened to you, just like for me, it may describe you. Like my life is the way that it is because of the things that I've walked through. But those things don't define me and they don't define you. Like your past, what happened to you, it may describe aspects, but it doesn't define your identity. Like if you're a Christian, who are you? You're a child of God. You're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the most high. You are the beloved. You are a royal priesthood. You are a chosen nation. You are blessed. You're a saint. That's who you are. That's who God says you are. Not what happened to you, but what God speaks over you. Your past may describe you, but when you learn to forgive, it no longer defines you. You step into a new creation. You become a new person. You become whole. You become healed. So my next question is this. Are you a forgiving person? Many people, they're like, yeah, I've forgiven that. And then the moment somebody bumps into them, all of a sudden, <laughs> they lash out. The moment somebody crosses them, they cross them 
off their list. Say, oh, you're such a forgiving person. Yeah, you have really forgiven your past, and that's why you still treat people the way that you do. Like, I, I can tell really quickly who is a person who struggles with forgiveness. You know how? Because they have a pulse. Because <laughs> we're breathing the same air. Say, like, oh, yeah, like, you probably struggle with that, because I do as well. Because I think we all do in some areas. So let me ask you, are you a, are you a forgiving person? I could tell unforgiving people because they have a really hard time with commitment and loyalty and longevity in relationships. Like if a person has had seven jobs in two years on their resume, probably a person who's not really good at forgiving others because you're always offended at the way that other people talk or treat you in the office place. You can't handle conflict because you're too offended. If a person can't stay at a church longer than a small group semester, probably because they're an unforgiving person. If a person can't keep a relationship or if everything's always somebody else's fault, even though you're the only constant variable in your life, maybe you shouldn't point the finger at them. Maybe you should look in the mirror at your own unforgiveness. Are you a forgiving person? Let me introduce to you um, a couple of people that I've met, um, not in our church, but in others, obviously, um, that would be unforgiving people. The first is the archaeologist. This is a person that's always digging up old things from the past. Like, do you remember when you did this? Babe, that was 10 years ago. I know, but I got a PhD in being offended. <laughs> I'm an archaeologist. How about this one, the scorekeeper? 1 Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no record of wrong. This one has an Excel spreadsheet of wrongs. <laughs> Let me just pull it up, all the things you've done wrong. It's the scorekeeper. You do this, I do that. The reason I did this is because you did this. Oh, how about this one? Number three, the stalker. You haven't seen them in five years, but you looked at their Facebook before you came to church today. <laughs> You're like, but they blocked me. I know you got a secret account. They might've blocked that one, but they don't know about the other one, right? And so you're constantly scrolling through their stuff. I hope their life is worse than mine now. <laughs> God bless them. Anybody? You're like, nope, a little too close to home. How about this one, the storyteller? This is the, you have memorized every little thing down to the most minute detail. And you're like, let me tell you about what they did to me. It was a cold, dark night on October 22nd. <laughs> It was raining outside. I was going about 67, maybe 68 down I-10. And that's when the phone rang and you wouldn't believe who it was. <gasps> Tell me more. You're the storyteller. You've embellished your emotions to, so much so that you actually think that's literally what happened. You've just created a story in your head. How about this one? Number, the funeral planner. The funeral planner is like, oh no, my life is over. Oh, everybody, come mourn with me. Come weep with me. My life, my dreams, my plans, it's all, it's all over. You're the funeral planner. How about, how about this one? The attention seeker. Now, there's two ways you can go with the attention seeker. First, you can become rebellious and defiance. You can become the bad boy. Or you can become the sad boy and just get really emotional and walk around like Eeyore. Oh, I'm so sorry. My life is so terrible. Either way, what you're doing is you're seeking attention. You want everybody to come and feel sorry for you. That's what you are doing. You're an attention seeker. How about um, the emotional leaker? This is a person who overshares. They're, they're just the overshare. 
Hi, my name's Byron. What's your name? Childhood trauma. Let me tell you about it. And I know I'm a hypocrite because I'm on stage and I do it all the time. But you know what? Um, this is the emotional leaker. And here's what happens. For most people, they set a boundary against you because you have no boundaries or respect for yourself. You ever wonder, why, why don't people want to be around me? Because you're not really that much fun to be around. Which leads people to become the, the wounded warrior. What is that? That's when the victim becomes the villain. Sometimes the villain was hurting in their past, and that's why they treat people the way they do. Nobody's going to hurt me again. So I'm going to hurt those who are around me because hurt people hurt people. That's what happens. You become a wounded warrior. Or number nine, the nasty nicknamer, which is what I just did to all y'all. Um, and then number 10, the bitter believer. And I think this one sums all of us up in some degree. Believers who have been forgiven of much, but hold resentment towards others. Become bitter. Bitter towards church. Oh, nothing ever happens right. Nothing ever does right. The pastor's service is too long and they get stuck in. It's too terrible. And I don't like my small group, right? Or you become bitter against your, your neighbors. I don't like the way that they mow their yard. It's not in the right triangles. It's not in the right shapes. And their house is just bringing down the whole value of the neighborhood, right? Right? Don't tap her. <laughs> we become bitter. But we're, but we're believers. And shouldn't we be filled with joy? But so often we're filled with resentment. Listen, you, you have a choice. We all have a choice. You can be bitter, you can be better, but you can't be both. Here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is choosing to be better and refusing to be bitter. Like you can be bitter or you can be better, but you can't be both. Like how is that bitterness working out for you? Like, sure, it might protect you, but really it's just a prison for you that you built for yourself. It's not helping you. It's, it's making matters worse. It's not only hurting you, but it's hurting the people who are around you. You could be bitter, you could be better, but you can't be both at the same time. You have to make a decision. Who do you want to be? The book of Hebrews actually talks about this. Here's what it says. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that the root of bitterness would spring up and cause trouble, that by minute many have been defiled. Think about your life like a garden. That there is spiritual fruit God wants to produce in your life. But as long as there is a root of bitterness, there cannot be a fruit of the Spirit. Think about a garden with flowers and with, with fruit and, and, and beauty. And then there's weeds. What happens if you don't get rid of the weeds? It'll begin to choke out everything that's good. That's what bitterness is doing to your life. It's choking out the things that are, are good and it's robbing you from the things that God wants for you. So how do you get rid of them? You have to dig them up from the root. And the way to get rid of the root of bitterness is with the shovel of forgiveness. You got to get down there and you got to start shoveling. You got to get your hands dirty. You got to do the hard work. And as you begin to do the hard work, what happens is that that root of bitterness is removed and the fruit of the spirit begins to grow. Listen, God wants to do a great work in your life. Your life can flourish. You can have joy and peace and patience and love and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You can have the fruit of the spirit, but not with the root of bitterness. And so you need the shovel of forgiveness to dig up the root so your life can begin to produce good fruit. Which leads to the third question. A question that many of you might be thinking right now, but why? Why should I forgive them? Why? After what they did to me, 
Why should I forgive them? Here's what Jesus says. Matthew 18, 32, he tells us a, a parable. A parable is a short story with a big idea. And Jesus is answering the same question throughout his ministry. And someone asks, why should I forgive? So he tells them a story to, to, to illustrate the point. Here's what he says. There was a master who, who had a servant that owed him $10 million. And the servant came to him and begged and said, please, would you forgive my debt? And the master said, you know, I'm in a pretty good mood. So, okay, I'll go ahead and I'll forgive your debt. He forgave him of $10 million. He was so excited. He ran home to his family. And on the way to his family, one of his servants comes to him, a fellow servant. And he says, I owe you $10 and I can't pay it back. Would you please forgive my debt? And the man who just had $10 million forgiven refuses to forgive the man who owed him $10. And when the master heard this, he called the man before him. And this is what Jesus says to him. Listen to this. It says, then the master called in the servant, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he paid back all he owed. That's pretty intense. But the next sentence is what is horrifying. Look what Jesus says next as he explains the parable. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Forgive and you will be forgiven. With the measure you use will be measured unto you. As you forgive others, you will be forgiven. Why should you forgive? So that way you'll be forgiven. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis that I, I, I love that I think sums it up greatly. And, and he says this, he says, we forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexhaustible in us. I love that Jesus uses this parable because it's a financial term. He says they forgave a debt. Sin in the Bible is oftentimes referred to as a debt. It's a price. That's why Paul would later say the wages of sin is, is death. Like that's the cost of sin. There's a, there's, a, there's a monetary value understanding of it. That's why when Jesus talks about why he came, he said, I came as a ransom. What is a ransom? It's a payment. So imagine this, like your credit card bill. At the end of every month, you get a statement and it has all the expenses and all the times you swiped your card. What if God sent you a bill at the end of every month of every time you sinned, your thoughts, your words, your deeds, your actions, omission and commission. You got a big long list at the end of the month. Here's your sins, pay me back. Would you be able to accomplish that? Like how many of you, when you get your credit card bill, you're like, I don't even remember going there. <laughs> like how did I spend, what, I, you said you were going to Target for one thing, $300, babe, come on. Uh, anybody else? No, okay, pray for us. Now imagine that was your sins. Could you ever pay God back? That's what most religions would tell you to do, that you have to pay God back. You have to pay God back through good works, through your good deeds, through reincarnating, paying off your karmic debt. Like you have to pay God back. And if at the end of your life, your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then, then maybe God will forgive you. That's not what 
the Bible teaches. Here's the difference between every religion and Christianity. Jesus paid the debt for you. Jesus paid it all. Jesus lived the life you never could live, the life unto God, died the penalty for your sins so that way your debt can be forgiven. It's wiped clean. The bill has been paid. It's been shredded and you've been free. That's it. That's the gospel message. You're forgiven. Now, if God has forgiven the inexhaustible in you, then you must forgive the unexcusable in them. God's forgiven you of so much, and yet you're holding this one thing over their head. You have to forgive. Let it go. Move on. Say, well, what if I don't? I love just the way you ask these questions. It's so great. You know, I could just sense it in the room. Like, what happens if I, what happens if I don't forgive them? Well, the first is the obvious. Unless you forgive, you will not be forgiven. Here's what he says in Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Seems like a, seems like a theme throughout Jesus' teachings, right? Like you're never going to read the Gospels the same way. It's going to just pop up over and over again. But if you do not forgive them of their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you of your trespasses. Now, that one's obvious. If you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. And as you forgive, you are forgiven. But let's get down into it just a little bit about how it affects us on a practical level. What happens if we don't forgive? First, it affects your spiritual health. Like you will only grow to the level that you forgive. Where you stop forgiving, that's where you stop growing. You will only grow spiritually to the level that you forgive. But there's something else that I wanted to point out, and uh, Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter four. Here's what he says. He says, for if you forgive others of their trespasses, oh, sorry, be angry and do not sin. Is it possible for Christians to be angry? Yes. Is it a sin to be angry? No. Don't listen to this nonsense in the world where Christians have to be doormats and we just need to shut up and keep our mouths closed. It's okay for Christians to be angry. It's not sin. But he says, in your anger, do not sin. There's a a woman, her son was killed by a drunk driver. She have a right to be angry? So she started an organization called Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. Saved millions of lives. She channeled her anger into a way that became a blessing. She used it. She didn't waste it. But what happens if you don't? If you let the sun go down on your anger, if you just go to bed every night bitter and angry and frustrated and resentful, what happens? He says this. You give the devil an opportunity in your life. Did you know that unforgiveness is an open door to demonic activity? In a few weeks, we actually have a couple of sermons coming up about demonology. And so we're going to dive into that. So get excited. Prayed up. But I'll just let you know that when you live in constant bitterness... You give the devil permission to bully you. He will get in your thoughts, your mind. He will get in your relationships. You give him a foothold, an opportunity in your life to wreak havoc unless you learn to forgive and close the door. Number two, your physical health. John Hopkins University did a big study on people with anger management issues. 
And here's what they, they found, that those who have anger problems, higher rates of obesity, diabetes, cortisol levels, stress, strokes. Did you know that it could lead to a stroke? It could even lead to death. They found that people with anger issues die almost two whole percentage points quicker than people who forgive. Like your unforgiveness is literally killing you. Number three, relational health. Relationally. How is that bitterness playing out in your, in your relationships? Like is unforgiveness good for your marriage? Like do you, do you think that like, like unforgiveness at the workplace is creating a flourishing environment or a toxic environment? Like, have you ever been around a person that you have to walk on eggshells every time you're near them? Aren't they such a joy to be around? You're just like, I bet they're fun at parties. <laughs> no, you don't, you don't want to be around them. Why? Because they're, they're bitter. And that eventually, like I said earlier, because you don't respect boundaries, people set boundaries against you. So I just can't be around that stuff. How is your negativity impacting the worldview of your children? Are you, are you teaching your children a God that provides, a God that answers prayers? Are you showing your children how great, good, and big God is or how big your problems are all the time? What is that gonna, how is that gonna impact your kids if they grow up and all they see is the negative and they don't see glory and the blessings of God all around them. Is that helping your relationships? So why do you keep doing it? Or how about this number four, the mental health, anxiety, depression, fog, mental illness, DID. There is an epidemic within the Gen Z and the next generation around the subject of mental illness. And I'll just say this. I think a lot of it is not just mental illness, I think it's unforgiveness. They just can't, because of the pain that they've experienced, they just keep dragging it and reliving it because they won't forgive it. I'm not saying that things aren't chemical. I am saying that things are way more spiritual than you give them credit for. So why, why should I do that? Let me ask you this. How much has your unforgiveness costed you. Say, but I can't let it go. You don't know what they did. Listen, forgiveness isn't for them. You understand that, right? Forgiveness is not for them. Forgiveness is for you. Forgiveness isn't about what they need. Forgiveness is about what you need. What do you need? Forgiveness is a gift you give to yourself. Give yourself the gift of forgiveness. How much has it cost you? It's cost you too much so far. It's cost you your time and your relationships and your money and your job and your kids. It's cost you nights of waking up and tossing and turning. It's cost you so much in your life. Why will you continue to punish yourself for something that somebody else did 
to you. The saying goes like this. It's like drinking poison expecting the other person to die. That's what you're doing. Your bitterness is not hurting them, it's hurting you. So give yourself the gift to forgive. Which leads to the, the final question is this. Okay, Byron, but, but how do I do that? How do I let it go? How do I get over it? How do I move on? How do I forgive? I'm gonna read you a verse in just a moment. But before I do, I wanna, I wanna tell you a story to let you know that I like, I'm right here with you all. Before me and Ashley started Redemption, we actually started another church in New York. And we got a call from the pastor. And I've known him since I was in junior high. We've been best friends for a long time. And he said, hey, Byron, I know you've been in ministry. We want you to move up here and, and help us with this church. We'll pay you. I was like, I'm gonna get a paycheck? I've been in ministry for five years and I've never been paid before. This sounds amazing. And so we sold everything, me and my wife. We loaded up in a U-Haul trailer. We drove to New York. And when we get there, the church was nothing like they told us it was. They didn't even have a church. There's no people, no building, no plan. And there was no money. They said, we'll pay you $30,000 a year. I got three paychecks, maybe four, the entire year I lived there. I worked pretty much for free. And they kept saying, we'll pay you back. We'll pay you back. We'll pay you back. Just give us another week. We'll pay you back. And you know how they repaid me? They fired me. On our anniversary, me and my wife. So on our sixth or seventh anniversary, we loaded up our U-Haul trailer and we, we drove back to Beaumont. I tell you, I didn't go to church for months. I, I didn't pray or talk to God. I struggled deeply with anger and resentment. I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to be around friends. I was just mad. And then eventually the Lord began to do what he does and he began to soften my heart. And we started talking again. And that's when he put it in me and Ashley's heart to start redemption, to give a second chance. But here's what I knew. I knew that if I started this church while I still had my pain, this would not be a healing place because hurt people hurt people. But healed people help people find healing. And so I did what Jesus says to do. If a person sins against you, confront them. Don't talk about them, talk to them. And if they say they're sorry, you must forgive them. So I called the pastor. And he apologized and he began to cry. And he began to share with me things that I didn't know. Because you do know that, right? Like you don't know the full story. There's, there's three sides to every story. There's your side, their side, and then there's God's side. And there was a whole lot going on that I didn't know about. 
And as he began to share with what he was walking through and what he was going through and the decisions that other people were making, the pressure that was on him, I began to feel compassion for him. And he said, Byron, you don't have to forgive me, but I hope that one day you will. And I said, Mike, I have to forgive you. I must forgive you and I, I choose to forgive you. And if you go to redemption and you know who he is, his name's Michael Moore. He's one of our overseers and he's my pastor again to this day. I forgave him. And he preaches on a regular basis here at Redemption. And our relationship today is beautiful and more better than it's ever been in all the years that I've known him. Reconciliation is not always possible, but when it is, it's a miracle. I want to say something, just a moment, to those who are married. I want you to know something. That adultery is grounds for divorce but it's also grounds for forgiveness, for reconciliation, for a miracle. I'm telling you, the betrayal you've experienced in your friendships, forgiveness is possible. Restoration is possible. Reconciliation is possible. I told you about my mom. Two years ago, I had the joy of baptizing my mother as she gave her life to Jesus. Because I forgave her. And now she's walking through the process of forgiving herself. And it's a process. It's a journey. It's not a destination. It's a journey. Forgiveness. You say, but, but, but they don't deserve it. Michael didn't deserve me forgiving him. Amber didn't deserve Botham's brother forgiving her. Saul murdered Stephen. Saul did not deserve God's forgiveness, but Stephen forgave him anyway. And in two chapters, what we're gonna see is this. Saul meets Jesus and becomes Paul and becomes the greatest missionary the world's ever known, plants churches all across the world and is the reason we're here today. Not because he deserved it, but because God gave it. You say, but they don't deserve to be forgiven. Listen. It's not about the forgiveness they deserve. It's about the freedom you desire. How much freedom do you want? How much joy do you want? Do you want the load to get lighter? Do you want the, the, do you, do you want the, the freedom? Then forgive. Because there is a freedom on the other side of your forgiveness. There is a blessing on the other side of your bitterness. There is a healing when you learn to let go of the hurt. There is a peace that comes after the pain. There is a victory when you stop living like a victim. And there is a triumph when God's children overcome the trauma. There is forgiveness and there is freedom. And it's not about what they deserve, it's about what you want. What do you want? Do you want to be free? 
Do you want to be whole? Do you want joy? Do you want peace? Then let it go. So how do we do that? I think we do that the same way that Stephen did. What were the last words that Stephen said? He said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. So how do we do it? We do it the way Stephen did. Because as Stephen is at the end of his life, what is he doing? He's actually quoting Jesus. Because in Stephen's moment of pain, he wasn't focused on himself. He was focused on the cross. He was focused on Jesus and what Jesus did for him. He was looking to the cross. He wasn't looking at his situation. He wasn't looking at his circumstances. He wasn't looking at his pain. He was looking at the cross. And in the moment of his bitterness, he cried out and he had the ability to forgive because he remembered what happened at the cross. At the cross, you see your sins. At the cross, you see God's salvation. At the cross, you see the worst of you. And at the cross, you see that even when you were at your worst, God still loved you. At the cross, you see everything you've done wrong and then you see what God has done for you. It's all at the cross. You wanna learn how to forgive? Look to the cross. Because here's what happens. In our lives, when someone sins against us, when someone wrongs us, that bitterness and that offense, it begins to stain. It begins to consume us. And if you let it happen too long, eventually it becomes a part of you. Eventually it begins to to change you. It begins to consume you. And this is how many people walk around filled with unforgiveness. But when we look to the cross, and the forgiveness that we have received from God and the way that God has loved us and the way that God has mercy and compassion and he forgives us. The more we look to the cross, here's what happens. God begins to pour his forgiveness into us. And as God begins to pour his grace and his mercy and his kindness, compassion, and as God begins to pour out his forgiveness in us, it begins to overflow from us into the lives of others. And when we see that God has forgiven us, he gives us the strength to forgive others. And his forgiveness, it changes us, it renews us, it restores us, it redeems us, it transforms us, it changes us. And when we are filled with his forgiveness, it overflows into the lives of others because we have been forgiven. We are people who forgive. Can I get an amen? somebody this is what God's forgiveness does and so don't look at the pain look at the cross don't look at what happened look at the cross and don't just think about what they did to you think about what God did for you on the cross and as the love of God fills you it overflows here's the last line as we close what God does in you he will do through you and as you are filled with the fullness to overflowing it will begin to pour out into those 
who are around you. 